HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bringing young farmers and young farmers together across the country to talk about the issues relevant to us. And today I'm joined on the phone um, by my friend Nick Bertulis in Oakland, California. Nick, uh, Nick, are you there? Yes. Hi, Severin. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. It's raining here. What's the weather like over there? It's warm and sunny. Nice. Yeah. I heard you had some late rain, though. That might have been an interesting thing. Yeah, we, we uh, after a long dry spell, finally got a little moisture, and that was pretty nice for the plants. So I was hoping you could start us off today by giving us a little kind of meta introduction to your work and, and where you fit within the food system. I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, I have an educational background in ecological design, but have always gravitated towards growing plants and especially growing food. And at one point I, in time I became obsessed with urine's potential for growing food. And I found an agronomist in Mexico City that was studying this, so I interned with him. And that was five years ago, and ever since then I've been sort of carrying his work on here in the U.S. and trying to, to spread the good word about urine. So you're actually internationally accredited as a, um, someone interested with agronom- agronomics and urine. Yes, yes. Accreditation is in, in effect. Is there a whole underground um, in the same way that there is about humanure and um, the use of uh, human waste, um, solid waste? Yes, it's it's very hyphal, very underground. The mushroom <laughs> kingdom is. Um, okay, would you mind giving us a little bit of the background of of that thinking and and who who is who's been doing this um, this work with human waste recycling um, in in little in historical terms and and where is that study at now? Well. Um, before the flush toilet was invented, um, there was something called an earth closet, and it was a, a, a toilet that flushed with dirt. And a, fen- a fellow named Henry Moulton invented that, and, and unfortunately the, the flush toilet gained in popularity. It was kind of, they were kind of neck and neck for a while, and the 
Earth closet went out of favor, but um, the use of urine both medicinally and in agriculture is is arguably um, has been practiced since you know primordial ooze has been co-evolving with our our planetary biosphere. So this is this is pretty fundamental. Biology, um, biological reality that we're talking about. So, where would you say is the strongest um, is the strongest PP recycling or um, culture or agriculture today in in the world? Well, the Scandinavians are are by a long shot way ahead of the rest of the world. That said, Mexico and Japan are also doing a lot of interesting work, and here in the U.S., um, Portland, Oregon, on the, um, on the more s- municipal scale, has, has uh, installed the first struvite precipitator in the country, which is very exciting. So I, let's, I could, let's, will you mind just, I'm sorry, I have trouble hearing you, so when I interrupt you, it's only because I really don't hear your voice at all, so if you can speak up. And oh, then, Okay. I ask your forbearance for my interruptions. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about what that design looks like. Well, it, the it's it's the basic premise is um, creating a device that can take the nutrients out of our urine in solid form. So it's basically a kidney stone we're talking about but in 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 effect you're adding um a mineral compound um several of which um use magnesium to precipitate the the nutrients the nitrogen the phosphorus potassium and trace minerals and basically what you're what you end up with is a powder that's called struvite and this this powder is very nice because you can then top dress your your farm with it, your your garden, or whatever you have trying to grow. And the other nice thing about um, the struvite reactors is you can actually separate your pharmaceuticals from the urine, which is a huge problem in the West. In fact, the in Scandinavia the Urine has not been accepted as an organic amendment because so many people are, are on pharmaceuticals, antibiotics, birth control, antidepressants, etc., and these are designed to pass through our body, and thus we're urinating a great quantity of them. They they always say the solution to pollution is dilution, but it does feel like <clears throat> in this instance that that idiom wouldn't apply. Correct. We were just talking last night about that old idiom, and and our new idiom, it's not quite as ringy, but is the solution to pollution is bioremediation, which basically means we need to start building soil on a massive level to, to solve our massive toxicological profile that we're cycling throughout our biota. 
Can we just address the um, the pathogens and risk factor qu- question that I'm sure is hot on the lips of all of our listeners? What are the risks um, involved in this, and why should we allay our fears? Yes, that's a great question and a very important one. The 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 short answer is that urine is almost universally sterile. It's relative to feces, which are pathogenically can be very complicated. Urine, which contains 90% of the nutrients in our excreta, is, is relatively harmless. That said, there are several pathogens that can be found in urine, mostly in tropical climates, um, schistosomiasis, leptospirosis, and salmonella are the three main pathogens you want to be concerned about. But in temperate climates, they're extremely rare. And if you know the person or yourself that you don't have these, you can proceed with a fair amount of certainty that it's not going to become an issue in your... So the whole know your farmer, the whole know your, know your farmer premise is um, obviously a lot more relevant when your farmer is also the urinary tract, which is fertilizing your food. Yes, yes. And, and to switch that for the, for the, from the farmer's perspective is know your consumer, right? So how, how healthy is your consumer? Because if farmer's dropping off a CSA box, and like in Sweden, where the farmers are actually collecting urine from urban areas and, and fertigating their, their crops with it, all of a sudden, you want to make sure your your you know your community is healthy. So you're talking about a system in which we have to be so aware as a community of our of our loops and of our nutrient cycling and of our basin of relation that we, as consumers, trust our farmer. We as farmers trust our consumer, and we have all sorts of interdependencies that much more closely resemble a natural system. Is that the is that basically the social um, the social organism that has to evolve to meet this technology? Yes, well put. Um, okay, so let's talk about where this is in the real world and, and, and where, you, where you install this machine and, and how. You know, what, mostly what I've been doing is building personal-scale peepeeponic gardens. So... It's just a, a small container garden that has a simple urine composting chamber on the inside, and on top, the urine nutrients and moisture and the warmth from the composting sort of osmotically drifts upward into the rhizosphere of what are mostly greens. So remember, nit- urine is mostly nitrogen, and greens are what thrive in a nitrogen-rich environment. So mustard, lettuce, kale, collards, everything that you love to eat that's green would do quite well in a peepeeponic planter. Is there some, are there some um, particular characteristic that you would describe, either a flavor or um, particular vitality to plants which are um, fertilized in this way? Is there some uh, trademark? 
delicious. Fresh and delicious. The you know I've been eating um, my winter greens are so prolific as well. I mean that's the real um, the real sort of visceral and tangible element of this system is that your your plants just grow so fast and they're so happy with so little maintenance, right? You have we have a urinal right on our garden bed. You pee into it and you get this lush verdure of edible landscape right at your doorstep and it's it's um it's quite nice. It's it's very economical and 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 very it local. seems like right out of the Jetsons or something. I mean, it really feels almost like you should be calling up a museum and having them install it as a as a demonstration piece for the lobby of a museum or something. Yeah, you know, um, I I I have a background in in art as well, and I I try and build them to be sculptural. And in fact, I I don't know. I think you did come to our Green City Gallery where I was showcasing one of my planters. Oh, yeah, I did see that. It was fabulous, and they put all sorts of cool tropical plants there. But you couldn't actually pee. I mean, you wouldn't really pee in public, I guess. Yes, it was actually it was funny you bring that up. It was a little bit um, scandalous because I was secretly encouraging people to use it because it was a fully functional sculpture. And I was I received some... Um, some um, punitive measures from my cohorts at the gallery that um, said that they weren't too happy with peeing in the gallery. But it was it was a funny story. There were we have some we mostly let the little children pee in it, you know, just because it seemed more innocuous. Well, and probably the little kids have less toxic burden than the older folks, too. I mean, less in, in, in inhibitions, certainly, but probably also less chemis. Less what? Um, less chemicals in their in their bodies. True, true. Yeah, they've had less time to build up that body burden. Um, um, okay, let's take a little break and, and listen to some music for a second. And when we come back, I want to to see if we can have a, a, a small discussion about some of the other models for um, um, ecological sanitation that do exist around the world. And um, I will announce some events. Um, but let's take a little station break and so that the Heritage Network can announce their... See you.
This is Severin, and we're back with Greenhorn Radio. And I'm here with my friend Nick Bertulis, who's out in Oakland, California. He's talking with us today about PP Ponics. Um, it's not his invention, but he is certainly um, an artisanal um, agent and um, activist within that community of um, folks who are interested in the engineering of systems which recycle human waste to produce human food. Um, it's a very poetic engagement, uh, ecological engagement, and it turns out it's also a really great cottage industry in, uh, in Oakland. Um, Nick, I was wondering if you know about the work of Sasha Kramer? In Haiti? Yes. Yes, yes, wonderful work. Would you mind describing her work, and then I will um, I'll jump in if there's more that I want to add? Most definitely, yes. The it's it's been a while since I saw her presentation, but if I remember correctly, she's using very low tech urine diverting toilets that are non flush. So when you sit down, both men and women, the urine goes to a separate receptacle and you collect the urine and compost it, and then the feces are much easier to compost on their own and recycle into the human nutrient cycle. And so she's going into areas of Haiti that are very poor and very have very poor hygienic conditions and implementing these this ecosan urine diverting technology to create local food economies and improve public health. And so just to interject, so basically if you're walking up to this um, installation in a village, say, in a village in Haiti, say. It's a cinder block constructed uh, little shack with a roof and some steps. And it's basically um, a shitter. And the shitter is moved. You know, they dig a big hole underneath and the solid waste goes in the hole. And then at the end of a certain period of time, determined by the frequency of um, use, the shitter is moved and in the hole that remains is planted a fruit tree. So you have um, basically a direct deposit for this new tree. Um, and as you know, in Haiti, they have major problem with deforestation. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, a lot of these places are really food insecure and there isn't a lot of... Um, there isn't a lot of self-determination by communities in terms of their food system. And so this is a kind of multi-pronged approach to that, to that problem which they face. And, and other applications, it would seem, um, would be in emergency situations, kind of um, refugee situations, um, disaster uh, situations where conventional, large-scale, centralized sewage processing isn't um, applicable. Do you have any examples of that um, uh, kind of gorilla, gorilla type um, emergency uh, water systems, Nick? Let me think. Um, gorilla emergency water systems. Mm, yet there, there we're looking actually at trying to do a Burning Man. I'm trying to get their contract because instead of adding all the feces to 
the honey buckets, you know, these porta potties, chemicals and whatnot, and then landfilling it or whatever to try and do something that's competitive with that. Um, that said, there's, um, I think the Sasha's example in Haiti is with the Arbor Lou, which is happening in Africa, South America, Asia, you know, anywhere where you have um, a refugee situation, just digging a simple hole in the ground and covering it with ashes or dirt it, and is such a, an effective and simple way, especially if you plant a tree and you really accelerate the degradation with some compost or something. But really, any you know, there's Carol Steinfeld, who wrote a book called Liquid Gold out of Massachusetts, has really been at, at the forefront of urine recycling education. And she's been organizing a Pee on Earth Day where we have this wide, like, national, widespread gorilla don't pee in your water, you know, pee on the earth. So there, there's a lot of fomenting of, of pee, pee activism. Yeah, it's a, pre- it's a pretty compelling argument. I, um, I, for a year I took a pledge and I only peed on the ground. It's pretty really? cold in the wintertime, but I, um, it's, a great, it's a great posture to be in outdoors, and it allows you for a wonderful perspective, especially if you're a girl and you have to squat. Then you, you, know, you spend some time at the plant's eye view a lot of times. I wonder if, um, from your plant's eye view in Oakland, if you see yourself as being well-positioned to develop that business that you seem to be starting there, um, and where you think if it would ever go, you know, to those refugee situations. I mean, do you feel like you're in a position to be able to um, act locally and, and think globally? Definitely. I, my my model motto is is industrial world development. So although I I do want to take the permaculture for disaster relief course, where a lot of people in in Australia. Um, a lot of people are implementing these sort of appropriate technologies in refugee camps. I'm also aware that the industrial world has such amazing technological and and just straight money to throw at helping solve global problems. I would like to, you know, yet here in the U.S., we have wonderful indoor plumbing, but we're really sort of barbaric in how we're degrading our watersheds. You know, inland and marine ecosystem are collapsing all around us because we're discharging poorly treated wastewater into them. So for me, a big part of our food system is regenerating our local habitats where wild foods are grown or maybe there's a fishery that's being depleted or is continuing to collapse. And by instead of discharging our effluents from our wastewater treatment plants into these bodies of water, we really should be putting them on soil where they can bioremediate any kind of nasty toxins and the nitrogen phosphorus pollution then becomes a plant nutrient instead of aquatic pollution. So um, we're um, really looking at trying to create micro-utilities on a city block level, neighborhood level, where 
closing the loop on the water cycle. So people not only cycling their nutrients, but also their water supply just locally through these technologies. It does seem like there's so much to be done um, in bringing this awareness of closed systems and food sheds and watersheds and um, that intimacy of of real understanding, of real eco-literacy that we, um, so few of us have access to because so few of us are able to control um, the many parts of the systems which we rely on. And... Um, as young farmers, it's something that we are working towards as individuals is becoming real agents in that system and um, gaining more sovereignty over um, the life support systems and, and, even, and even building new kinds of systems and inventing new kinds of models through which energy can pass. So it's a pretty exciting, um, it's a pretty exciting moment to be working in these, in these fields um, particularly as they are applicable to those who are suffering and to those who are um, on the edge of understanding. I wanted to see if you had some resources, Nick, that you could call out um, for our radio listeners to go and educate themselves. Um, if you have a website or um, your Mexican mentor has a, a place where this, can, this research could go on, could you call that out? Yes, the... Uh, I'm a member of the DIG Cooperative, and we do wastewater recycling. You can see our website at dig, D-I-G, dot co-op. Um, it's C-O-O-P. And the, um, the, the really, and my Mexican mentor, Francisco Arroyo, has a website, who I'm, which I'm forgetting right now, but if you look up... Um, Ecological Sanitation and Mexico on Google, you'll come across his, his homepage. Oh, it's Sedicar. That's what it is. It's C-E-D-I-C-A-R. Sedicar. It's an acronym for this local um, sustainable development program that he, he's got. Um, other than that, um, ecovita.com is Carol Steinfeld's website, which is very informative, and you can purchase liquid gold off of that. And then there's also Sasha Kramer uh, at The Soil, and her website, I'm looking at it right now, S-O-I-L. You can just Google, on, and you, there's, also a, um, there's also a presentation that she did on, on Google Video. She's a real genius. I mean, that girl needs to be on and on, on, give a TED talk. She is passionate. She's done a PhD in um, organic agricultural management. She's you know smart as a whip. Could do anything in the world, and she's chosen to go to Haiti and build toilets, and um, and makes it look totally glamorous. So I hope some time to have her on the show. But um, in the meantime, go watch her online. Um, I also want to break in and talk about the fact that we have events coming up in um, the Northeast, particularly. Um, we had a great time at the Brooklyn Food Conference last week and uh, the Grand Army Market Plaza. Um, this upcoming event is June 20th. Put it in your calendar now. It's June 20th from 2 p.m. until 10 p.m. And it's a whole day of events. And it's called Goat Spit and it's on the corner of Sackett and Henry Street, um, which is in kind of Cobble Slope. 
and we'll have a marching band, and we'll have a coffee bar and a bicycle-powered rotisserie for the goats, um, dairy uh, billy goats, who have been rejected by the um, artisanal dairy um, industry and will be enjoyed by us on sandwich. We also have vegetarian option of cheese sandwich. And then we have the Reverend Billy um, and the Church of Stop Shopping Gospel Choir who will be singing a song, and Reverend Billy will be explaining his um, policy platform on young farmers and how they figure into the economic development of New York City. Um, rooftops, green collars, the whole thing. And we have bicycle-powered sound system. We have events and diversions. We have a whole solstice ritual, lots and lots of things. Um, you bring it, we'll do it. And um, it's a fundraiser for the Greenhorns. So that's June 20th. And then on June 18th, um, we're doing a, a Young Farmer Mixer in Hardwick, Vermont. And that is also really exciting um, in partnership with High Mowing Seeds and uh, Vermont Soy. So that is a dairy-themed event. And we have two bicycle blenders making um, milkshakes um, low-fat and, and high-fat for those who are into either of those extremes of dairy, dairy fairydom. And on... June, on June 16th, we're doing a Young Farmer Roundtable. A whole bunch of uh, young farmers, some of them conventional dairy farmers, um, some of them punky incubator farmers um, in Vermont, and this time at Sterling College, which hosts every summer the Rural Renaissance uh, Conference. So that's some of the um, up-and-coming for the Greenhorns. Um, we hope that you will also continue to join us on our weekly radio show here on, on Greenhorn Radio on the Heritage Food Network um, radio station. And check out our blog. It's www.thegreenhorns.wordpress.com. And on there is every day new postings about jobs, events, opportunities, um, news relevant to young farmers, and spunk relevant to, uh, to the furtherance of all these good things. So I look forward to seeing you all soon. Nick, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Severin. Keep up the great work. Yeah, you too. Uh, talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.